as you guys find 1 Corinthians 12, I want you to think of the expression, the elephant in the room. It's kind of an older expression, but it's a, if you just get a picture in your head of two people, like maybe in the kitchen fixing dinner or hanging out, and right in the corner of the room is a giant elephant, like a huge, giant thing, and they're just ignoring it, and they're not talking about it. Uh, maybe like uh, if you're hanging out with someone or getting lunch or coffee, and they've got a giant thing of spinach in their teeth. You know, and, and you're, they're, you're trying to listen to what they're saying, but all you can do is think, oh my gosh, you should tell them, first of all, okay? It's loving to tell them anyways. But uh, an elephant in the room is something that is so uh, distracting and massive, it kind of has to be addressed before we can really do anything else. And uh, right when we jump into this passage, we can get about two or three verses in this passage before we get to an elephant in the room. And that is the miraculous spiritual gifts. So uh, if you look at uh, verse 9, uh, after Paul lists some fairly normal-seeming gifts like wise speech and knowledge, knowledgeable speech, he, uh, he lists gifts of healing and the working of miracles and distinguishing between spirits and various kinds of tongues and interpreting tongues. Um, and this is an elephant in the room for a few reasons. First, uh, Paul lists them as if they were totally normal, as if they were just regular parts of church life. Second... Uh, all, I'm almost certain that most of you in this room have not worked a miracle with your own hands or spoken in a foreign language you had not learned. Uh, so we don't really experience these gifts. And third, there is a pretty, uh, pretty large swath of Christianity, particularly in the Pentecostal movement, that claims that these gifts are normal. And some of them go as far as to say that if you don't experience them, you're not really a real deal Christian. So... We want to, and, and this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, does not really care at all about that. Uh, but I think before we dive in, before we can really learn, we, we should address that. Um, so I just want to give you all my personal view, and I want to tell you that I hold it with an open hand. Um, but here's the, here's the question, okay? Uh, the question that, our, that we're asking as we think through this, do the miraculous gifts have a regular and normal part of church life? I think everybody in here would agree that God can do whatever he wishes, right? That I'm not going to limit God's power and say that he can't have one of you guys work miracles. But the question that's really important is, do the miraculous gifts function today as a normal part of church life? Um, and my personal view is that uh, after the apostles died, so like Peter, Paul, those foundational figures, and after the gospel was established in the world, that the normal, regular practice of these gifts stopped. And why do I believe that? There's not a Bible verse that makes me believe that, uh, but I read church history, and you see from about the year 100, uh, all until the Pentecostal movement started in about 1920 in the United States, most Christians, I'm gonna say virtually all Christians, did not experience the regular practice of the gifts. Were there miracles? Yes. Do crazy things happen sometimes? Yes. But speaking in foreign languages, interpreting those languages, prophetic words, um, the working of miracles were not a normal part of church life. And so you're kind of left with two options, okay? Option one is that all, all, for 1,850 years or whatever, and all these great figures we read about in church history, either they were all wrong, and in fact, limiting the Spirit's power, or in a way that God did not previously tell us, the gifts ceased functioning regularly after the apostles died. And in my mind, as I look at history and I think about what's more likely, 
it just seems much more likely to me um, that God, God kept, caused the gifts primarily to cease after the apostles died. Again, there's no Bible verse um, that says that, and so I kind of hold that with an open hand. For example, uh, if I walked in this morning and uh, Elizabeth stood up and started speaking in Thai, not having a background in Thai, okay, and then Kenny stood up and he interpreted uh, what she said, and it was a prophetic word from the Lord for me, okay, I would reevaluate my view of the gift, okay? Uh, if, if, I, if I saw uh, evidence to the contrary, um, I would reevaluate. I hold, I hold my position in an open hand. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to finagle some Bible verse and make this, you know, affirms what I say. Uh, second thing, I'm also very open to hearing of miraculous and unusual things happening on the field. I mean, you guys have probably heard stories of uh, Muslims being converted through visions, of miraculous healings happening uh, in India and Africa and places where the gospel's going out. I'm very open to those things. However, uh, I'm very, very, very cautious when someone argues that these kind of miraculous gifts are a regular and normal part of church life. And I'm not saying you have to agree with me on that. I think that's uh, generally the position of guys on staff. Uh, we all have different uh, nuances. But whether you agree with me or not, okay, now that we've kind of talked about it, I hope that we can focus our attention on what 1 Corinthians 12 does say. And that is that everyone in here has a gift or multiple gifts of the Spirit. And you all, they all, whatever they are, they all come from the same place and they're all to be used in love. So let's, uh, let's read the passage. Uh, we'll read all of 1 Corinthians 12. And then we will uh, dive in. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, the same Spirit. There are varieties of service for the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized in one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, 
God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gift. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this morning I ask that you help us to be faithful as we explore to understand this passage. And second, I, I just pray that you would help each of us uh, to see that you yourself have particularly gifted us to serve and bless the body. Help us to uh, fulfill that call of God. Christ's name. Amen. All right, so by a show of hands, uh, who here enjoys being useful to other people? Okay. All right, it's a pretty, pretty common human experience. God made us that way. Uh, I, uh, I particularly really enjoy um, being useful around the house. Uh, I remember this has only happened one or two times, but I successfully installed something in my house. Uh, I installed a garbage disposal like, that goes under your sink. I did it all by myself. No YouTube. Okay, no that stuff. I just did it. And I, I was like patting myself on the back for months about this, okay? Uh, but I'm not, I'm not really very good at that stuff. Uh, I have many more house projects that were much more painful. Uh, house stuff is kind of brutal for me. And sometimes we serve others and we're useful to them in ways that are really not that enjoyable to us, that we're not that skilled at. We kind of operate out of weakness. And God calls us to do that. We should do that. But it's even more wonderful to be useful to others when what you're doing is something you love and you're good at. That's probably one of the, one of the, the greatest blessings uh, just in daily life, to, to, to bless other people and enjoy yourself and be good at something all at the same time. Um, and it would be enough uh, for a Christian to hear that God loves them. It would be enough uh, to hear that what we're celebrating this Christmas, that God became a man and lived perfectly and died and rose again for you, out of love for you. That'd be enough. It would be, it would be more than enough if, if God would say to you, this life might be difficult, but heaven awaits. And, and if you're faithful, I'll reward you there. It would be beyond imagination if God would say, again, even as you get, as you walk to heaven, I'm going to give you the spirit. I'm going to help you and encourage you. But on top of all of those things, kind of like this uh, glorious icing on the cake, 
God gives us spiritual gifts. He doesn't just call us to serve him and obey him. He empowers us. He gives each of us specific spirit-wrought talents so that we can be not just useful, but enjoy and thrive in our usefulness to others. Just consider that for a second. God doesn't just give you a place to serve. He has, if you're a Christian, if you have the Spirit, you have been given, whether you know it or not, you've been given a spiritual gift or multiple gifts to bless the body. Abilities that you didn't have before you were a Christian. So, uh, God is just so good and so kind that he wants you to participate in his work in a way that you can enjoy. Um, I remember Sarah and I's wedding cake. I'll never forget it. it had amaretto cream icing. And I'm not, you know, I love cake, but that was ridiculous. The, ice, the icing almost made the cake. And uh, there's a sense in which spiritual gifts are like that. They're this glorious icing. Um, they're not the main thing. They're not salvation. But there's something wonderful added to it. Uh, and the Corinthians, uh, like they were apt to do, were taking this icing on the cake and throwing it at each other. They were smearing it in each other's faces. They were fighting about who had the better gift. They were boasting in their giftedness. They were taking these wonderful things that God had given them and making them these spiritual notches on their belt. And so Paul corrects them by writing uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And he says a few things, uh, but the primary thing that he says is that even as all the gifts are different and they look different and everyone's unique in their gifting, they're all the same. They come from the same place. They're for the same purpose. They all function in the same way. So uh, first thing Paul does is put the gifts in their place. If you look at uh, verses 1 through 3, in verse 2, Paul says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. That little phrase, led astray, you could translate that uh, kind of uh, held captive or carried away, carried along. I think the idea here is that uh, even pagans have powerful spiritual experiences. That even people that don't know Jesus uh, can have these kind of ecstatic things happen to them. Um, but in verse 3, Paul says, here's how you really know if the Spirit's present. Here's how you know if the Holy Spirit is working. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure Paul means this completely literally. I'm sure there have been people... Uh, who have said Jesus is Lord, who are not genuinely Christians. Um, but I think the idea here is that the main test of something that's spiritually wrought, the main thing is loyalty and love to Jesus. That's the ultimate thing. That's what, that's what, that's what ultimately meant. That's how you know the Spirit's present. Uh, you could be the most gifted individual in this room, and if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to use what you have for his honor, if you, if you don't see him as your savior, if you don't love him, you are not a spiritual person. And, and I would say, if, if, that's, if that's you, if you're kind of mm, in your love to Jesus, focus there first. You know, the, the gifts are wonderful. They're just icing on the cake. Get the cake. Um, but uh, there is another helpful thing about this. I was, uh, it was really weird. I was studying this passage in the Bell Hall Starbucks on Tuesday morning, and uh, this gentleman uh, walked in and greeted me, and we talked for a minute. He saw my Bible open, asked me what I was studying. 
And uh, I told him I was studying First Corinthians 12, and he goes, oh, wow, that's great. Uh, and uh, he handed me his card, and on his card it said uh, so-and-so, apostle slash prophet. I thought to myself, okay, we have different views on the spiritual gifts, you know? Uh, I was like, he would probably teach this passage differently than me. Um, so we, we got to talking, and um, it became clear that we, we disagreed on uh, what the gifts were about and what the, how they were used. But he said something that just really made me love him. And he said, and all the stuff I teach about spiritual gifts, what I am looking for is Jesus to show up. What, what I want and however we do this, what I want is I want Jesus to manifest his power and to change and transform people's lives. And I, I just, that just made me love him. And in the middle of our disagreements, uh, to really, really just, man, this is amazing. I just want to say, as, just as we disagree with other Christians about the gifts or about anything, you know, if you can find someone who what they want is, is Jesus to be magnified, that is someone you can have great meaning with. But specifically, um, the gifts uh, all have to be about Jesus, obviously. But the gifts are, are united. They're united first in their purpose. Look at verse uh, 7. Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is probably the main verse in this first passage. It, it defines what a spiritual gift is, and it tells you why uh, we have them. So first, uh, a spiritual gift is a, quote, manifestation, you could say just a revelation, a revealing of the Spirit, a unique way in which the Holy Spirit reveals himself in the life of a believer, not in the way the Holy Spirit makes us more holy, okay, he does that, but, but in a, a specific way the Holy Spirit empowers us to obey him and to bless the church. So it's, it's true. Whether you've discovered this in your life or not, whether you've seen it, God, the Holy Spirit, has given you spiritual gifts, particular ways in which you are empowered uh, to bless other people. Um, and he's outlined these gifts in the scripture. Of course, we have the outline in verses uh, 8 through 11. Uh, obviously, the, the miraculous ones are there. I'm not going to say they're not. They're totally there. Uh, but things like the utterance of wisdom, you can translate that wise speech speaking wisely over someone's life, utterance of knowledge, uh, speaking wisely about the word, understanding the word, um, faith by the same spirit. Uh, Romans 12 describes other gifts. They describe gifts of service, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leadership, mercy. Ephesians 4 talks about how uh, apostleship and pastoral ministry and evangelism are all gifts of the spirit. Um, but the main point here uh, to, to chew on for you is that you have been given one of these to bless the body. And uh, just notice, why does God give you gifts? This is really important. He gives you gifts for the common good. He does not give you spiritual gifts so you can feel good about yourself. Although we can enjoy serving, right? Uh, he doesn't give you gifts so you can look in the mirror and be like, yes, wonderful evangelist, you know? Um, he gives you gifts to bless other people. You are in this for the body. So the Corinthians struggled uh, about boasting in their giftedness. We'll get there in a second. Uh, but I think uh, a struggle we might have a little more close to home uh, might be neglecting our giftedness, um, being a little too consumed and trapped in our own lives, being a little bit 
not, not even really wanting to serve in the church. Not, mo- mostly wanting to just get served and get fed and not give our lives away. And here's the thing, guys. If you're, if you're not about serving in the church, you're never going to discover your spiritual gifts. The, the whole, their whole point is, is for others. They're meant to bless. Um, and, I, and I just encourage you that think of the honor that God himself wouldn't just take give you abilities to bless your servants. Um, so, first application, um, commit yourself to serving in some way, uh, also for the purpose of discovering your spiritual gifts. Search out the passages in scriptures, like this passage, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, that describe the gifts. See, and then serve and figure out what you have. I, uh, my personal journey has been very much a trial and error process. I uh, became a Christian back in college. And one of the first ministries I got involved in was uh, called the Hot Dog Ministry. It was a ministry uh, to homeless men and women uh, in downtown Charleston. And uh, I discovered uh, that I didn't really have a gift for it. Um, it was just kind of obedience. And we did it, and it was good, and I was faithful to it. It wasn't something that I, you know, organization's not really my thing. You know, sometimes we'd show up with, like, hot dogs and water. Like, you know, that's... Anyways, all that being said. But uh, in that process... Um, I started to get opportunities to speak to the men. And I realized I'm, I'm okay with this. Me and Sarah got involved in the children's ministry, and it was 100% obedience and 0% giftedness. 0%, you know? I was not good at that. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, but uh, I was also uh, involved uh, leading uh, Bible study in high school ministry, and I got some opportunity to speak, and it became very clear that this is what God had gifted me at. And um, all I have to say is that the most likely way you are going to figure out how the Spirit has gifted you is by serving. Um, you, you don't just like get a revelation one day that God's made you a good, uh, a good discipler. You have to go try and see what happens. Um, and so I'm not saying that you have to serve here in Sunday's hour. I mean, I think that's a little much too rigid. I, I would encourage you, um, you can grab someone who's a little less further along in their faith than you and try to disciple them. See if, see if God gives you wisdom and knowledge to share with them in the gifting of the Spirit. Um, maybe you find a co-worker uh, who's not a Christian, and you start to share with them. See if God gives you the gift of speaking to them. Um, but whatever, uh, you're commanded to do these things anyways, right? So, so in, in obeying Jesus by serving and by, by discipling and evangelizing, seek to discover how God's gifted you. So uh, God, uh, the, the gifts are united in their purpose. They are for the common good, but they're also united in their source. They all come from the Spirit. They are all honorable, just like, just just in the same way. Uh, do you guys know that gold uh, can be used to fill cavities, and uh, it can also be used to conduct electricity? There's oftentimes in a You'll, you'll find gold in circuit boards. Um, but anyways, I think the idea here, the reason Paul's saying this is because um, every gift of the Spirit, whether it's something very public and flashy that everybody's like, oh man, look how gifted he is, or something that nobody notices and is not really popular in your particular church, right? every one of those gifts is equally as honorable and spirit-wrought. Gold that is in circuit boards and in people's nasty mouths is just as valuable as gold on somebody's engagement ring. They're the same in source. Um, look at verse. Uh, look at verse four. There are varieties of gifts, but.
but the same spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So generally, all the gifts are united in the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Note the Trinity here. It's all over this book. Um, but specifically, it's the Spirit that empowers the gifts. Verses 8 through 11, four verses, the Spirit is mentioned six times. Every gift is of the Spirit. They come from the same place. Uh, their only distinction is what they look like. They're all of the Spirit. And uh, I think one thing we can glean from this, uh, my guess is that uh, most of you are not doing what the Corinthians were, like running around being like, I'm a prophet, baby. You know, your, your service gets stinks. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think you guys are doing that. That's what they were doing. That's what, where they were, okay? Uh, but I still think, even if you're not there, uh, there is always this inclination in our hearts to assume that what we're passionate about and what we're good at is the main thing. Um, and that what, what we prioritize, the ways in which we serve and the ways in which we're good at serving, that that's what real Christians do. And, um, and there's a very strong corrective in this passage. Every gift that is of the Spirit is equally, um, equally spirit wrought, equally pleasing to God. So don't make your gifts about you as you seek to discover your gifts, as you practice them, as you serve in the church. Don't make them about you. Your gifts are about others. Um, I just encourage you guys, don't assume that everybody should appreciate your gifts or be as equally passionate about them. This is very difficult. Uh, guys, I love preaching and teaching. I, I really enjoy preaching through passages of the Bible. Um, and one of the biggest temptations when you find something that you're passionate about, especially something you're gifted at, is to think, well, real Christians do this and appreciate this. Um, I encourage you guys to flee from that. See your gift. The only honor your gift needs is that it's from the Spirit. You don't need other people's approval. You don't need other people to catch on the back about it. You just need to know that it's from God. It's used for others. And also, uh, even though, and I said this earlier, God gives us the joy of being useful. Don't make your gifts about self-fulfillment. I think uh, so much of Western American life is about self-fulfillment. We're told to find jobs that fulfill us personally, relationships that fulfill us personally. And there, there's some truth in that. And there's some truth in that finding your spiritual gifts and using them will fulfill you. It's how God made you. But if you go into serving, looking to feel good about yourself, looking to, looking to have, uh, have good feelings and looking to be fulfilled, you're, you're, you're either only going to serve in ways that are comfortable, or you're going to get proud about serving, or, when you're, or you're going to expect people to line up opportunities for you to serve. You're going to see your service as a life-giving thing. God wants to free you from that. Use your gifts for others. It's enough that it's from the Spirit. So uh, the gifts are united in the same purpose, and they are from the same source. Uh, why is that? Why are the gifts used for the same purpose? Why do they come from the same source? It's because they are all in and for the same place, the body of Christ. Uh, this last section, so 12, really 12 all the way to verse 31, is the last section. It's the most famous section probably in 1 Corinthians. Um, it argues that 
the corporate church, the local, the local body of believers. You ever, you've heard that phrase, right? Body of believers. That comes from this passage. Uh, that, that the gifts function in the same way that individual body parts function in a human physical body. It's the grounding for everything he's argued above. So, uh, so look, look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with the body of Christ. That's the main idea here. Uh, but it's, I'll just explain it. So the idea is that your body parts, all right, all of them, they all look different and function differently. Okay, hands are different than eyes. All right, ears are different than stomachs. Pinky toes are different than kneecaps. All right, they're all different, but they're equally all parts of your body. If you lost them, you would miss them, right? Um, and they're not just equally all composed of the same cells with the same DNA on them. Um, they are equally necessary for your body's function. You guys probably don't think much about your head until you have a migraine. You don't think much about your, your pinky toe until you break it, and all of a sudden walking around is miserable. Um, that's, how, that's how the gifts function in the church. They all look different. They all function a little bit differently, but they are all equally valuable and necessary for the church's health. Um, and those are the arguments Paul makes. Verses 14 through 19 is one big passage arguing that your particular gifts matter to the church. I'll just go over one of the verses because it really gives the argument of the whole passage. Verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And that's, that's a great argument. Um, the idea here is that, is that most people would probably say that seeing with your eyes is more important than hearing. Now, having lost either senses is terrible, okay? But most people would say that, that being, being blind would be worse than being deaf. And so there's, but there's a temptation there to say, well, the eyes are where it's really at and the ears don't really matter. And Paul's saying that's wrong. If, the, if, if everybody, if your entire body was one giant eye, first of all, that would be weird, okay? Second of all, all you'd be able to do is see. You wouldn't be able to hear, you wouldn't be able to act. So he's saying here, in the same way, your spiritual gift, what God has given you, may not be the flashy one that everybody loves. But it is necessary for the church's life, for the church's health. Um, a person without ears cannot functionally live a full, healthy, normal life. They can still live. But they can't have the fullness of life God intended. Um, you personally are necessary here. And if you're visiting, then you're necessary in your local context. The body needs you. The local church needs you. We, East Cooper Baptist limps around with a broken foot or half a lung if you're not involved here. That's how intense this is. There's a, there's a, there's a deep responsibility. Everybody here has a variety of gifts. Um, everybody here has things you can contribute. And uh, as a pastor, um, I'm pretty intimately involved in this church. I know uh, I have a sense of the needs of the body. And I'll just say, if I could not sleep and just completely neglect my family and work 150 hours a week, all right, and, just, and I had the energy for that, okay? I would not even begin to meet the needs in this room, in this body, right? The, the church only works when we are collectively building each other up in love. 
your gifts, your presence is necessary for the health of this church. That's an honor, but it's a responsibility. Um, the second argument here, um, just as the body needs you, you need the body. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Uh, this is kind of a funny illustration. Eyes are probably, I don't think Paul was saying this, but eyes are probably the most fascinating and complex organs of the human body. Just, if you want to have a really cool argument for God designing human beings, okay, just go look up the biology of the eye. It's incredible. Um, and the fact that we can see is, anyways, it's, it's cool, okay? Uh, but eyes are way cooler than hands. And there's cool stuff in the hand, all right? I can grip things. I've got nerve endings here, okay? Like, I've got opposable thumbs. Nice, you know? However, okay, hands are not as cool as eyes. But think about this. Think about what someone with eyes but not hands would be like. They'd be able to see but never do anything. It would be extremely frustrating and almost useless to be able to, to, be able to see what should be done, to be able to have vision and not be able to do any of it. And, and some people are content with their gifting and they don't see their need. They're content being an eye. They don't see their need for a hand. And this passage is very, very clear that no matter how gifted, no matter how disciplined, no matter how rich your walk with the Lord is on your own, you need the body of Christ. You are not, buzzers all the time, nobody's omnicompetent. No, no, nobody can do everything. No, nobody can see their lives as clearly as other people can see. You need the ministry of the body. You need to be here. You need other gifts besides your own ministering to you. Um, and I'll just get a little bit specific and maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I just, guys, be at church on Sundays. Um, I, think, I think just most basically. Now, again, you can be involved in the body if you're not at church on Sundays, but there's a pattern in our culture where one or two Sundays a month is great. Three is like amazing. You're like the best Christian ever, you know? And I'll just say that you know, you know that when you go home and see grandma and grandpa or when you go to Clemson football game and it's really fun, you know it's spiritually draining. You know it's not good for your soul, right? But it's difficult to say no to those things. What I'm gonna say is I'm gonna give you a biblical excuse to prioritize being here. Being around other Christians, I say specifically in corporate worship, but especially around other Christians, okay? That is one of the most important disciplines you can cultivate. Showing up, and it's not a very hard one, you know, just show up, okay? But, but you need the body. And if you're not disciplining yourself to be around the body, you're missing out. And of course, yes, some of us have extraordinary life circumstances. We're in a season where things are too crazy, and I, I get that. I'm not gonna blanket statement, you're in sin if you're not here on Sunday, okay? However, as a general pattern of your life, you need to prioritize being with God's people. And I would say even having enough margin, enough margin in your life, taking back on enough things to where you have one place where you can come and receive and one place where you can go give. It's a really help, helpful balance. So one place where you can come and receive and be fed, receive the ministry of the body, and one place where you can give. Um, and I just say second, uh, try to cultivate an appreciation and a thankfulness uh, for the gifts of others. Um, 
Now, I'm not saying a soundboard is a spiritual gift, okay? But every time you were sitting down and working, something doesn't go wrong with the video or sound, that's because 10 people are doing their jobs. Every time uh, you can hear an entire sermon without 15 to 20 babies crying or all these four-year-olds like running around being terrible, okay? That is because there are about 100 people in this building who are exercising what I have to call the gift of mercy, okay? And, and, lo- and, and loving on children, okay? Yeah, maybe not mercy, maybe service, okay? I don't know, okay? Um, I don't know. But, 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 but it's, it's so tempting, right? It's so tempting to treat church like Chick-fil-A, okay? My expectation is I walk in, everyone's going to be nice and excellent, I get to eat yummy food and leave, my right? My, my pleasure, okay? <laughs> my pleasure, all right? We, it's easy to walk in here with that mindset. And the, and the reality is, first of all, it takes a ton of people doing what's right, doing their jobs well to make any of that possible. And secondly, if the church were Chick-fil-A, you'd come in, you'd sit, you'd eat, and then you'd go in the kitchen and start working on fries, you know? That, that, that's, 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 what, that's how God designed it. He, he, he made the church to function in such a way that we don't just show up. We show up, we receive, of course, but we also give. So, appreciate gifts of others. Um, cultivate an attitude of thanking people, especially those who have gifts that are necessary but not very flashy or noticeable. Um, so, as Paul says in verse 27, you, uh, it's a plural, you, you could say y'all, okay? Now, y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Collectively, here it is, Cooper, we together are the body, and each of us is a necessary member of the body. We must be functioning correctly for the body to grow. And uh, as I close, uh, I just want to note that this kind of teaching is thoroughly biblical and thoroughly anti-American in a lot of ways. Uh, our culture loves the solo act. Have you noticed that there aren't really very many bands anymore? Those are not hot bands. It's just people, just singers. Look, looks like in the 80s and 90s, it was all bands. People are too selfish individuals to have a band now. They've got to be their, their own act, you know? We love highlight reels. We love seeing one person doing something incredible. Um, but as we close, I want, I want you to think of... Uh, I'll try to give two of these for those of you who have different interests, but I want you to think of an orchestra, or if you're more contemporary, a phrase band. Okay, that's fine. Phrase band's good, too. I like that, all right? Think of them, and just notice how when each part functions correctly, there is a collective beauty that is way more than the sum of its parts. That, that the things in harmony working together is beautiful in a way in which hearing in individual instruments would not be. If you're not a music person, think of a football team. Um, I'm not really a giant football fan, but I think one really beautiful aspect of the game is that for a team to be successful, almost everyone on the field has to do their job. Quarterbacks and receivers and running backs are flashy, but if the 300-pound no-name lineman doesn't do his job, they are all on the ground, you know? They can't, so, so there, there's this collective effort, this self-sacrificial serving the common cause effort that must happen in football to win. And I think what God desires of us is that we display this collective beauty this collective effort. We will, our church will flourish and function. Each of us will give ourselves to building up the body. Ephesians 4 says, what God desires is that each part works properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in
So this morning, just for the sake of participating in something truly great, for the sake of blessing others, building up the body, and loving, and, and being that collective beauty, give yourself to serving in the ways in which God has equipped you. And if you don't know, serve so you can learn. God will be honored in that. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you uh, just for the immense privilege and blessing of gifts that you give us, of spiritual gifts outlined in Scripture that, that are used to build up other people. I pray you'd, um, you'd work and help us discern and to use these things for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name.